KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Good morning, I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Friday, August 18th. How to prepare for the strong winds and thunderstorms this weekend. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. A runoff election is nearly certain in the race for District 4 San Diego County Supervisor. Janessa Goldbeck released a statement yesterday saying while there are still a few thousand ballots to count, it appears her campaign does not have a path to victory. San Diego City Council President Pro Tem Monica Montgomery Stepp's lead grew in the latest count to 41 percent. And founder of Reopen San Diego Amy Reichert is holding on to the second spot with about 29 percent. The two appear to be heading for a runoff election on November 7th. People living out of their cars now have the option to park in Vista's first safe parking site at the city's Civic Center. Katie Melendez, a Vista Council member, says there are more options to help keep families housed. I believe that there are many people in our community that could benefit from short-term emergency rental assistance to stay housed and prevent homelessness. At a recent Vista Council meeting, $1.4 million in rental assistance was approved for families needing help with rent, utilities, or property taxes. A homeless encampment ban in Poway is now in effect. The ban allows county sheriff's deputies to cite people for sleeping on public property if they refuse a shelter bed. It will allow the county sheriff's department to remove illegal encampments in the city with at least 48 hours notice before removal deputies are also supposed to offer an available shelter space. The ban was passed by the Poway City Council on July 19th. A similar ban went into effect late last month in the city of San Diego. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Hurricane Hillary is packing wind and drenching rains that are expected to reach the county this weekend. Environment reporter Eric Anderson has details. Hurricane Hillary could be the first to hit San Diego in more than a hundred years. It is nearly as rare for named storms to hit the county. National Weather Service meteorologist Alex Tardy says that's only happened a few times. 1976, Kathleen. 1977, Doreen. 1997, Nora. Uh, So there's not many that we can look back historically that even have a forecast coming right at us 
Tardy says a Pacific storm off the coast of California and a heat wave in the Midwest are creating an alley for Hillary to move straight toward San Diego. Hitting land and cold ocean water would weaken the storm, but the system will bring strong winds and drench San Diego regardless. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. As we get ready for the stormy weather this weekend, reporter Melissa May says you may be more prepared than you think. Remember those heavy winter rains? Well, they actually prepared the community for Hurricane Hillary. Reach back to that and say, what were the problems? What bothered me? What inconvenienced my lifestyle? And then mitigate those. Chris Heiser with the Office of Emergency Services for the City of San Diego says to plan ahead of what you might need through Monday. Think through the what-ifs. What if the power goes out? High winds can result in power outages. Heavy rains can result. So am I ready for a power outage? Do I have enough battery life on my cell phone so I can maintain contact with family members? Do I have backup batteries for my laptop so I can maintain my situational awareness? The city has an emergency dashboard on its website where the public can monitor the storm and find resources. You can also download the county's Alert San Diego app for notifications. Melissa May, KPBS News. A Marine charged with sexually assaulting a 14-year-old girl in his barracks room was in a Camp Pendleton courtroom yesterday for a preliminary hearing. Military reporter Andrew Dyer was there. Private First Class Avery Rosario is charged with three counts of sexually assaulting a child over the age of 12. His military attorney said at a hearing today Rosario should not be court-martialed, that the pair met on Tinder, where her profile said she was 21. According to text exchanges shown in court, she told the Marine she was 22. According to former Marine attorney Gary Barthel, who is not involved with this case, that could make the difference. That is a valid defense. If he had reasonable belief that she was uh, of age, then that would be a, value, uh, a legal defense, yes. It will be up to Rosario's regimental commander whether the Marine will face a court-martial. From Camp Pendleton, Andrew Dyer, KPBS News. Coming up, we hear from San Diego's Poet Laureate, who will be one of the authors headlining this year's Festival of Books. That and more, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. DC is premiering the film Blue Beetle this weekend and positioning it as the first Latinx superhero on the big screen from a major studio. Film critic Beth Accomando decided to ask Chicana artist and fellow podcaster Gabby Moreno about her reaction to the film. Gabby, before we start talking about Blue Beetle, I wanted you to tell us a little bit about what superheroes you grew up with and your connection to those kind of comic book stories. I grew up 
in the like 90s era. So like 90s Fox Kids, you know, ABC, all that type of stuff. So I grew up watching like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which was some of my favorites, uh, X-Men, Spider-Man, Batman, like the animated series, Teenage uh, Ninja Turtles. And so I grew up with that. So like Wolverine, Spider-Man, Batman, those are some of my favorites. Of course, like from the female perspective, I like like Jubilee and like Storm and Rogue. I grew up with that type of era. And so it's always been something that's been part of my childhood and into my adulthood. I still am a huge fan. So I have a lot of stuff like either horror or action hero stuff. Um, So it's something that's always been part of my life. And you consider yourself a Chicana artist. And like me, you are deeply entrenched into pop culture. Yes. You were really looking forward to Blue Beetle. So did it live up to your expectations? Yes, it did. And it, I feel like it actually surpassed my expectations. I, I don't want to set my hopes too high. So I was like, I was trying not to like hype it up too much. But yeah, I think I, it actually was better than I expected it was going to be. Like I said, I love the family dynamic. I really loved like the la abuelita is like she gave me like vibes when she like let her hair down like kind of like las adelitas so it's like Mexican female soldiers from the revolutionary era so I don't know that was like a homage to that but I just thought that was really dope so like I said I think whoever did the writing and all that did the research so I think I read like an article where it's like a love letter to the Latino and Mexican culture which I really loved. And did you identify specifically with any of the characters or the cultural reference points? I know after the film you talked about how you felt kind of connected to Jaime's family. Yeah, so yeah, for sure. Obviously, like I said, like seeing a brown superhero, like not animated, but actually like in live action was really cool to see. And so yeah, I can relate to like Jaime Rey, especially like I'm being the oldest of like a Mexican household. You have like that pressure to like be the one to like support your family type of thing. It's just always been like that, the dynamic with like the Latino culture. So I can relate to Jaime's character because he kind of had like that on his shoulders, like, oh, what am I going to do? Because my family's like losing their home and I should have been here. And I was also like the first to graduate from college, me and my twin sister. It was like a huge thing, accomplishment for us. So like him, seeing him talking about that in the film, I was like, oh, wow, I can like actually like relate to this character. And even the sister, it reminded me of my younger sister, the dynamic, like I said, with the grandma, with the parents too, like how everybody's so close. Because with my family, like we don't really have aunts and uncles here. So mostly they're in Mexico. Here, we're like a smaller, like small niche family. So I could relate to that dynamic. And yeah, I could see myself in a little bit of each character, I guess you can say. And you mentioned animated versus live action. And I just wanted to ask, this is being positioned as kind of the first Latinx superhero on the big screen from a major studio. So how does it compare to Miles Morales and Marvel's Spider-Verse? The main difference, like I said, it's the animation part for me. I really love Miles Morales as well. I don't want people to think I'm hating or anything. And then I love Namor from the Black Panther films. Like he opened also the door and, and then I grew up watching like El Santo and uh, Blue Demon and stuff like that, which again, that's not the mainstream, but there has been superheroes just not like where everybody can, you know, see it on the big screen or anything like that. But I think that for me was the main difference, I guess, as what why it solidifies him as like the first Latino superhero on the mainstream film. And it wasn't just about the actors that you saw on the screen. There was also Latino talent behind the camera, and that's important to you as well. Yes, yeah. So just watching the end credits at the end, I started seeing a lot of, like, Latino names there, and I was like, oh, wow. Like, So it's crazy that it's, like, it's made for the Latino culture by Latino people, too. So that was really, like, interesting and uh, really awesome to see that representation, not just on screen, but behind the scenes. Gabby, I want to thank you very much for attending the press screening with me and sharing your views on Blue Beetle. Yeah, no, thank you so much for thinking of me and inviting me. It was was an awesome experience. 
Blue Beetle opens in theaters this weekend. You can find Beth's review at kpbs.org slash cinemajunkie. This week, you've been listening to interviews with authors who'll be at the Festival of Books tomorrow. And here's one more. Jason Magabo Perez is San Diego's Poet Laureate. He's the author of two poetry collections and has another in the works. He's a graduate of UCSD and is now director of the Ethnic Studies Program at Cal State San Marcos. Perez spoke with my former colleague, Harrison Patino, about his role as Poet Laureate. Perez started by reading a selection from his poem, we draft work songs for this city. We draft work songs for this city. Whenever the surrender of this quiet is typhoon enough, we draft work songs for this city. Mighty we of rough draft futures, we of protest chant and scrapyard syntax. We work song in tin, drum, glottal syllables of distant motherlands. We draft litanies. At every streetlight altar, we draft verse on napkins and reused plastic grocery bags. We, raw material literatures, distillation of after dreams, swap meet philosophers. We, whose hands wash sky, who grow gardens and gardens against worry. We, whose mighty ache remakes history. Thank you, Jason. That was beautiful. Can you tell us more about that poem? It's actually a, a bit of a remix and a sort of re-edit, revise, repurpose, recycle from a series of writings coming from my forthcoming book. I really wanted to share my love with the city. And so the longer version of that poem references three general areas where I lived in San Diego for a good amount of time. But I think perhaps most importantly, demonstrating my solidarity and love for the workers. I was raised by workers, you know, blue-collar workers, and know we're all workers, but wanting to put that frame in the poem and share that with working people. So I understand you first became interested in poetry as a college student. What was that introduction like? Yeah, I, you know, I was a college student at UCSD, an undergraduate student, and I ultimately was drawn to spoken word. Uh, I think that, you know, my, my relationship to literature, my relationship to literature and English classes was not always the best. I didn't know it was because I didn't feel represented in the literature we were reading. Uh, but I think perhaps even much more deeply, I didn't feel I had a relationship, an intimate or healthy relationship with my own sort of way of, of how I think about myself and, and, and express myself. And so when I saw folks, you know, doing spoken word, friends like my, my dear friend, the late uh, Penai feminist poet Joy De La Cruz doing poetry on stage or, or one of my best friends, uh, B.J. Jennings doing poetry on the stage, it really helped me come to terms with, with how I felt about literature. And, you know, I ended up linking up with them and building community and really gravitating towards poetry. But I think that that, that came after, you know, the, the community building and the activist work that we were doing, right? And so it sort of became a, a place where we can gather and, and where we can process our thinking, our feelings and make sense of the world, and, and poetry happened to the, be the medium that was really available to us. Your personal family history has had a profound effect on your work, specifically when your mother, Leonora Perez, was framed by the FBI in the 70s. 
Can you tell us more about your mother's story and how that's influenced your work? Sure. I often sort of share this story and drop some details. And, and it's such a long story to talk about. It's, it's sort of my life's work to really write about this story and figure out different ways to explore it in a way that's that's careful and responsible and accountable to my mother, to the other Filipino nurse, to that history, to our communities. Uh, but my mother and, and another nurse were framed by the FBI for murder. A series of murders had happened while they were nurses at the Ann Arbor Veterans Hospital Administration. Patients were suffering breathing arrests. The FBI eventually came in to investigate through about a million dollars at the time uh, at the investigation, and they ended up pinning it on my mother and another nurse. Right, And so my mother had pretty freshly immigrated. She had immigrated in 1972, um, and this was in 1975. This all happened before I was born. We kept migrating west because of the trauma from this particular historical moment. I think that, you know, as, as some of that family history crept into some of our conversations, I think that my relationship to institutions, formal institutions, um, has, has been shaped with a suspicion, always a caution. Uh, because of what happened to my mother and my relationship to the English language, because she was persecuted, well, saw an immigrant having a thick accent, having uh, a way of expressing herself that was not understood or heard in the courtroom by jurors or the judge or the prosecutors or whatever. I think a lot of that has shaped what my interest is in coming back to our communities, coming back to our families and trying to sort of tell our stories through the language the languages that feel most empowering to us. Your role as Poet Laureate will also include cultivating relationships with the community and telling stories across San Diego. How do you hope to make poetry more accessible through this work? Yeah, I think that there's actually a lot of, of great movers and shakers, a lot of great community organizers and poetry communities in San Diego. I think, you know, hopefully getting folks to workshops and getting folks to reading groups where we don't not only share our own poetry, but perhaps spend time with someone's poetry book. I think we have a very vibrant community of poets here in San Diego. I, I consider myself a part of, of some of those communities. And so I think linking with them and, and connecting with them and hopefully collaborating to reach out to the community. And by community, I, I'm thinking about things intergenerationally, I'm also thinking about definitely paying some attention to the youth and, and young people who I think have a lot to say and a lot to teach us. That was San Diego Poet Laureate Jason Magabo Perez speaking with former KPBS Midday Edition producer Harrison Patino. Perez will be on the panel at the Festival of Books on Saturday at 11 a.m. The festival runs from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at USD. That's it for the podcast today. This podcast is produced by KPBS producer Emmalyn Mohebi and edited by KPBS senior producer Brooke Ruth and KPBS editor Nick McVicker. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.